0: Welcome to Sin City, get ready for in-depth chat on new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you cinephiles, only on
1: cmru.ca and Feel Loud Images.
0: And now, to your host, Nick Monensis. Welcome to Sin City, I am your host Nick, and joining us today is probably our longest running guest, Matthew Zaharia, just in time to discuss another slasher, and then it's none other than Halloween, nope, not the 1978 original, we already went through that, but we're discussing the 2018 sequel, just two months away before the newest Halloween Kills. So. Let me just get this out of the way when I say, to me, this film is is it a very important film to me, because to those who know me well, Halloween is my favorite horror film of all time, and for them to make a follow-up, and I mean a worthy follow-up to the original film, it's like a dream come true for me, for all of us fans, and... Uh, for starters, Matt, since you've watched the sequel, the 2018 sequel, last night, what were your initial thoughts on this latest and greatest Halloween film?
1: I thought it was—I'm going to be all right. It, I would say that there was some pacing problems, and they're, they're trying to deal with a story that I don't feel— is the right fit for a slasher that oh the whole uh Laurie strode how trauma affects individuals and families i feel like they worked too much on that without giving it enough space for that idea it's um because majority of the film is based on her family and there's a whole sequence about her granddaughter Allison and her boyfriend going to this Halloween dance and um, I just felt that if they wanted to tell that story they should have uh, focused on this story rather than just having that whole aspect of the film and then including everything with Michael Myers because huh. they're trying to demonstrate how Laurie is this paranoid person that this event in her past has caused her to be a come a recluse and paranoid all the time but by letting Michael Myers out it um it sort of justifies her paranoia and Justifies everything that she does in the film, and that we we are supposed to see as over the top survivalist, teaching your like child to shoot guns early on because this one event happened to you in your past, and I feel like if they made a movie focusing on that, how Lori grew up and became a mother and tried to. Impose these beliefs upon her children because, um, uh, Karen,
0: I think. It is. Yeah, yes, Karen.
1: Yeah, um, she was taken away by child services, and being one of these sort of recluse, redneck types isn't enough to warrant child services, I don't think. It's not like it was, um, she wasn't in any danger it's that she is just being trained to protect herself in these ludicrous slasher scenarios and i feel like if they wanted to draw parallels between Lori and michael myers like they obviously did within the film like the podcast hosts when they first introduced uh well when they're introducing Lori to the movie basically they're like oh and then the other monster that came out of this event mm-hmm. and then that's when they go and visit Laurie. it's and then a lot of the shots from this movie parallel shots from the original
0: Halloween. Right, I love how they did that. It shows that, because in case, uh, I'm sure you already knew this, but this late, the new Halloween is actually a direct sequel to the original, so it ignores yeah. all of the other films, meaning Michael and Lori are not related in this timeline, but the Lori recreating some of the famous shots with Michael, it shows that even though Michael and Lori are no longer related, they will always be connected by one thing, and that thing is fate.
2: Yeah, which
1: you say they're not directly related, as you say, like they're not siblings or related in that sense, but by having this element of fate, how they're intertwined, it takes... It sort of takes away the randomness of Michael Myers's actions if she does have this connection to this one particular character from like thirty years ago. It's, it's forty years ago, I think it would be Forty accurate. years, yes. Um, but uh, if they if they wanted to do that idea, they should have like I was saying, focused on that idea. Like, I was thinking um, at a point where Laurie shoots a kid, basically, because she thinks it's the shape. She thinks it's Michael Myers. And her paranoia leads her to being an actual danger to others. And something more akin to that, where it's focusing on the effects of trauma and what it can make someone do.
0: Right. In fact, that's a really good way to keep this episode even more structured. That's a pretty good topic to start it off. Because, yes, while it's true, Halloween 2018 was indeed the best sequel since the original. Not everyone is bound to agree it's on the same thing, of course. But personally, I didn't have much of an issue with that side of Laurie's character. In fact, I think this might be jamie lee curtis's best one of or at least one of her best performances ever because it gave laurie a bit of more nuance to her character it deconstructed the final girl trope i must say because you think that a girl who survives the killer it's all A happy ending, right? No, it's not going to be like that. She's obviously going to suffer a lot of mental scars from the events she experienced.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, it, It is a... They sort of lean in on this final girl aspect, how at the end it is, Um, the three women Laurie, Allison, and Karen that end up defeating Michael Myers and trapping trapping him in uh, Laurie's cabin but um, with that there's also um, an issue I sort of had in it is the incompetence of the male characters throughout the film because seemingly everyone every male character in the movie makes a wrong or bad decision.
0: Well, that is a subject for debate for sure. The teenagers, that we can understand, it's standard procedure for a slasher film, but a One exception to that rule would be the sheriff or deputy, you know, Frank Hawkins, the guy who ran over Michael towards the climax. In fact, I think out of all the characters, he's the one that actually comes closer than anybody to killing the shape.
1: Yeah, well, but that's the whole problem with that is it's killing the shape. If he was thinking rather than... the, the whole police um, of Haddonfield are on alert looking for this guy and rather than calling in and saying I got a visual on him I wherever he tries to do it on his own tries to get revenge on his own and because of that he ends up dead because of uh
0: Dr. Dr. Sartain yes. Sartain, which is supposed to be a Dr. Loomis stand-in
2: mm-hmm. it's, The parallels are obviously drawn with that But he's taken his obsession
1: with Michael too far to the point of evil
0: Right, yeah, and now that we're on that subject What did you think of that twist that Dr. Sartain turned out to be Bad all along and was responsible for Michael's escape because
1: I thought it was unnecessary because oh well, because Michael Myers is a character that probably could escape on his own, and having him be let out to, um, and having him need the help of. The doctor to go on a rampage and he's not a very good doctor if we mm-hmm. take it to that no. sense no. out goes the Hippocratic oath and in goes um, uh, let's release this serial killer on this town just so I can hear him say a few
2: words it's
0: mm, well th- much like you I'm kind of iffy on that twist. For one, it really shows how this guy is almost like an evil counterpart to Dr. Loomis, how both characters are obsessed with Michael Myers, but the latter lets his obsession get in on his head way too far. and. I'll tell you something else. That scene, the Dr. Sartain, it turns out to be evil all along. The only reason that scene even exists, in my opinion, is because the filmmakers need an excuse, a plot device to bring Michael to Laurie's house and set up the film's finale. Yeah,
1: and that's, I would say, the main conflict and problem with the whole Laurie-Michael connection if they wanted to do a Halloween film again, and wanted to use these characters, but then they have to rework the script, script into a way where Michael is in the middle of the woods and stumbles upon Maurice Cabot. It takes a bit away from it, the actions of his crimes to, and part of the story as well, to have to basically place the Strode in Michael's lap basically
0: right. right yeah that was the one part that nearly just nearly by an inch kind of killed my enjoyment for this movie but overall everything else I felt worked for me and while we're on the subject I think it's time we of course talk about our favorite homeboy the shape because I think if we exclude all the Rob Zombie films and all the other films, just like they did in this continuity, I think this is Michael Myers at his worst, at his most brutal. Like, don't get me wrong, Michael's never been a nice guy per se, but just he's much more brutal, much more unhinged now, because think about this for a moment. Michael, during his first killing spree back in 1978, he's only killed four people, including a dog, and his reason, his only drive is to kill. And he's been incarcerated for 40 years without ever killing or hurting anyone. So he has been growing more and more angry or more deranged. And on top of that, one of his victims got away and managed to hurt him. So frankly, he is very pissed. And now he's free, just free to unleash that rage completely.
1: Yeah, and you see it, I would say, that he is very efficient in the movies well, in this movie in particular like it's it, um, the best example I would say was that is when he kills the mother with the child with the hammer it's basically hammer take the knife walk outside it's boom 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 all in three sequences and I've like, th- this is more of a rampage, I would describe it as. There's not as much stalking as there was in the original.
0: Right, exactly. Because, yeah, again, this shows how Michael has gotten even worse because in the original film, he would he was very patient. He would take his time, stalk his prey right before going in and killing them. But here he wastes no time with that. He just goes straight in for the kill. Gone are the days of creeping suspense. He is now just pure brutality.
1: But is, is,
0: is that the Michael Myers we want to see? Is it the because? Um, as a matter of um, as a matter of fact, I would say that's a a big yes because first off, good job with removing all the familial elements and bond he had with Laurie because that's perhaps the best thing they could have done. They wiped up the the cardinal sin because. Michael's killings in the film are exactly exactly what Carpenter intended like it's all random there's no motive no specific target he's just killing indiscriminately and at the same time he's back to being you know all mysterious not not even a hint of his backstory this is exactly it's it is close to what Carpenter intended for Michael Myers, for the shape to be. And I think the shape is back and better than ever here.
1: Well, I'd say Burning in the Basement isn't better than ever, but there's still another movie on our hands. Right, yeah. Um, yeah but it, I feel like a lot of what made the original Halloween terrifying, I know we've discussed this, is the stalking aspect of it, the idea that you're being watched, and how he's just patiently waiting. And, um, yeah, so it's, and then just turning him into, be more comparable to a killer more like Jason, or a, a billion other slashers like that, uh, where it's just about the kills, and you lose this Part of the character that made
0: him so iconic. More, more like Jason? I beg to differ. Because remember, aside from removing the familial element, they also stripped away all the the supernatural elements from the character because notice how Michael, he still has the same scars he got from Lori. His eye never healed and he he got run over, he got hurt so many times but he didn't like fully regenerate like some zombie-esque character, he's still a man, just a regular immortal man.
2: I'm not
1: talking about Jason in the supernatural sense, I'm talking about Jason in the Slasher's sense where it's just going around killing people and I feel what made Michael Myers iconic was this stalking aspect, how he takes his time with his prey and sort of plays with his food, wherein this there's not, you, there's one scene I would say he does that in is when the camera stays still you see him go around back come in the house and kill that woman mm-hmm. and it's that—that's the only, and that wasn't that long of him standing there. It was a a couple seconds. Goes through the back, kills, continues, and it's it turns Michael Myers from this slow, methodical killer into more of a rampage sort of
0: spree killing sort of thing, just well. out for blood and not really. I feel like it loses a part of the character that, of the Michael Myers from the original. Well, that actually, it makes, it really, but it shows just how how much worse Michael is, because it's very fitting, He's, he's pure evil incarnate, as we all know, and for him to just, you know, how he kills people randomly goes from one house to another casually no angle inside that really it fits with what the character was all about to me just committing motiveless murder and remember michael he's he's pissed he's angry of course it makes sense that he's he's much more brutal here now with him keep shoving people to death all the time he's more drawn out it really makes sense with the character lore-wise. And that again, that's just my take on it. Anyway, my personal opinion. Yeah. But a, a problem I also have with the film is,
2: this is coming off the back of the original Halloween. Right. And in it, um, the
1: asylum bus crashes, and then he escapes then, and then goes on his rampage there. And you can give that a bit of leniency because he only killed when he was a child and nothing else since then. But here he killed four other people and then they decide, oh, let's take him on the bus in the middle of the night. There's not there's gonna be no problems with that. I, felt, I feel like that was sort of like a daytime activity there where if they're transporting him, it wouldn't
2: be, pitch back middle of the night oh it's not going to happen again is it
0: tempting fate yeah so right. well like because they
1: know what he's capable of and it's not just oh um, he's been silent for um, four years he killed five people still and regardless whether oh it's just going to be fine it's it's not so
0: well oh well that's still that part yeah I, I can excuse that one because after all this is a, a horror film and we need to find a reason for Michael to come back as well and yeah. even more to show just how much of a badass Michael is he's even he's even much more terrifying even without the mask because he's already by the time he escapes he's already nearly doubled the original film's body count even before he retrieves his mask. And on top of that, since this is 40 years later, in this timeline, Michael is 61 years old. And no, not even old age has done a thing to stop him, to stop his evil, his brutality or efficiency.
1: Or seemingly even a bullet. Because he does get shot in the movie, but that doesn't seem to hinder it. Like, he gets brutalized throughout the movie, hit by a car, like, pretty sure he took a few hits from that crowbar, but it's like, if he's not, if he's just human, and there's no supernatural elements at play here, what's going on with him? Why can he take so much punishment? Um, And keep going because despite the fact whether it's force of will or the power of evils alone the body can only take so much punishment
0: and it's it's like make up your mind is he a man or is he more than a man and it still keeps that level of ambiguity as well in the story wise sense I mean yeah
2: it's
1: I don't. Yeah,
0: it's Halloween, right? And and at the same time too. It's because yeah, it's more of a riddle for the ages. Like for one, do you think asylums hold or ha- have gyms? Because I, I'm if one guess, Michael's really been doing some crossfit in the gym, and the other one, which is. How did he learn to drive? My guess is he must have been watching Loomis drive. He must have been observing people from a distance in the asylum because because math murderer or not, Michael is smarter than he looks. Well,
1: he did drive around in the first film as well. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's another holdover from that where it's like they didn't question it back then and uh, we don't really need to question it now because it worked back then so it will work now and um uh with that it's it's an excuse saying here's uh michael can drive a car so he can get from out of town into town and yeah but he doesn't he basically abandons it i would say after the uh, gas station it's not like we see him again like because in the original one it was the it was a
2: um a vehicle from the asylum mm-hmm. Doctor and it had the obvious like logo
1: on it and you could see it drive past in other scenes and there's nothing like that in this one that gave him a sense of presence even though he's not even on screen Right. just seeing the car around brings the idea that okay um, he's here
0: but um, they sort of just abandon that when he abandons the car in the at the gas station right and seemingly hoofs at the rest of the movie on foot exactly yeah. and which he is a 61 year old man and right yeah, yeah and Speaking of the car as well, is how Michael got the car because this is another sign to see that we are dealing with a much different and worse type of beast here because this is the first time ever we see Michael kill a child and he attempted to in previous other continuities but here is the first time we see him successfully kill one. and. Again, another sign that shows us just how evil he is because all he needed was the car. He could have just waited for the kid and his dad to get out and taken the car and be on his merry way. But instead, he waited, he bid his time, and waited for the kid to get in just so he could kill him and break his neck. Which, again, shows more signs of sadism. Yeah, but he's not that evil. Right. Like-
1: Relatively, because he does interact with a whole bunch of different children on Halloween. It's not like he's going around
0: cutting people up. Well, that one, I think, is, from I, my perspective, is pretty self-explanatory. Because, again, Michael may be a psychopathic serial killer, but he's not dumb. There are a bunch of kids out there in the original, yeah, and I'm guessing... It's more out of pragmaticism, because killing them in broad daylight, out in the open, would have alerted others to his presence.
1: Well, it would have been during the night, for one, because it was while well, they were trick-or-treating. But then it also brings up the fact that he just leaves the baby, mm. which I love. It, it's. I feel like it's a, it's. The reason why he killed the kid to get the truck was because he was armed. It's sort of this idea where one wouldn't fight an unarmed combatant, but because he was armed, he did have a rifle on him, he was a threat. And so I would say it was less of him being more sadistic than before, than like you were saying earlier, it was killing out of necessity it was killing this threat. Even though he was a frightened kid with a gun, it was still a kid with a gun. And it's obvious that he didn't just kill the kid because he can kill the kid. Because all the is all these mental patients still around, and if he wanted to kill people, I'm not saying that you sh- it justifies killing the mentally ill. I'm just saying that if his motive was out for blood, there's a whole bunch of blood around here and it's they're, they're trying to, they want Michael from the first movie, how he's this like suburban stalker and kills in these suburban neighborhoods, but they want him with the same anger and as a rampage. Uh, no-holds-barred
2: bloodbath. And it... it it leaves some inconsistencies if he's just out for blood.
0: Well, we all know he would have still killed the kid regardless of whether he had a gun or not. But as for the baby, that part, it has led to a lot of ambiguous theories and and fan discussion. But this is the thing michael given we all know who michael is at this point of course he chose to spare the baby not because he's a nice guy but because it wouldn't fit because as we all, you know how michael in likes to scare ratchet up his victims fear before he kills them but a baby a baby has no idea what is going on around it so through Michael's head in his twisted mind, it's no fun to kill someone when they have no idea what is going on around them. So he chose to spare the baby simply because, I'm guessing, it would be boring. He wouldn't feel amused by killing it.
1: Yeah, but it's wait. The reason why it works so much, we we see him scare them. We see him wrap up the tension with his victims in the first film. But in this one, there's, it's scary to us, the audience, because we see from Michael's perspective and we know what's going to happen. Like going back to the one scene where he goes around the house, he just sort of shows up and kills her. There is a scream. She is scared, but it's, doesn't he doesn't instill fear in it it's the fear of the moment and because we see Michael's reflection in the window but he's gone before she even goes to close the blinds she at no point sees Michael in that scenario and they want to have their cake and eat it too basically they want first movie Michael with a more more violent quicker Slasher
0: film. Well, I uh, because of this, he does a part of me feels he's trying to relive that. Actually, no, I should, like you mentioned, I should stop looking more into it if we want to keep Michael as this force of nature. But at the same time, because when Michael is not so bad or not so evil, because that actually would be incorrect, because we own Michael Myers is meant to be, you know, just. He's a monster, a complete monster, one of the most evil characters in all of fiction and there's no justification for any of his crimes. He is just irredeemable to the core. He is not this guy like Jason who deserves our sympathy. He does not. He's just this inhuman and utterly evil human being, this monster with no chance of redemption or remorse for his actions. At the same time, that moment where there are actually lots of moments where he ratchets up the fear in his victims. One notable example is the the closet door scene, which, again, really shows how he's really the boogeyman, the monster that hides in your closet. He could have come out any time, but he waited until someone opened it so he could go pop goes the Weasel.
2: Yeah,
1: but... I feel like also that scene is more indicative of a tonal problem that the movie has because there's this tongue-in-cheek sort of... It's sort of like a sly jokes thrown into the script that are supposed to be said by the character. This be like, you know, it's... Oh, it's good. Oh, there's a, like, when the kid was saying, oh, there's a book, the boogeyman's here, it's like well, oh, yeah, the boogeyman's here, but then they're like... Then they play around with it too much, and they're making themselves a bit more self-aware at the fact that they're in a slasher movie like this, and the kid is just, like... He's terrified, but he's cracking wise through the whole thing, and it's like, oh, no, David, you go up. You go up, David. And it's like... It's, um... It, like, it, it, there's a, there's many other examples on of that throughout the narrative, and it's it's there because it's uh, I feel like because it's a remake and they're banking on fans of the original and Michael Myers the character. They don't need they're not really worried about making these like sly cheeky references because the the, fan, the fans will like them but looking at it um as, as objectively as the tone of the movie it's um it sort of breaks away from it
0: well that part is a point of debate among the fandom even three years later but yeah to me the the jokes the humor I can take or leave it But overall I, I I found no problem At all with the The humor Since like you mentioned This was meant to Win back fans of The Halloween franchise Cause this is This is like the Almost like the fourth Awakens Of the Halloween franchise It's meant to Introduce the Halloween franchise To a new generation Of fans Yeah And um, It's They do that But Like
2: Like
1: also like the Force awakens they sort of do hit the same plot beats of the original
0: Uh, that part is is excusable
1: i know given like given uh how controversial rob zombies halloween is at least it tried something different with the character it
0: tried to tell a different story in the same realm of Michael Myers, he tried to make him a different character than the one in the
2: original. Right, um, yes. This one, they're, um, they're,
1: they're trying to do the same thing by introducing him to other characters, but this is the same 61-year-old man from the first film. And people, it's, if people aren't really familiar with this character, it's be, it'll be like, okay, what's the deal with this old man um, that these two uh, investigative journalists are interviewing? Why is he so special? Because when we were first introduced to Michael in this movie, he is just a man. Right. And it, it's about like... 30, 40 minutes into the film when he actually becomes Michael Myers.
0: Right, when he puts on the mask, you mean?
1: Yeah. Or or even the bathroom scene is the first one we see him on screen
2: commit violence. Because we see him strangle the kid, but we don't actually see Michael do that. We
1: just see the kid get strangled. Mm -hmm. And the bathroom scene where he brutalizes those podcast hosts is the one scene, I would say, B.C. Michael Myers. And that is in a Halloween movie, 40 minutes into the film. But unlike the original Halloween, where the whole time they were building up tension and uh, this atmosphere of terror, uh, this movie goes on and introduces us into a family drama where Alison Stating Cameron Oh, but they don't really like Cam and they're gonna have dinner, but oh, is grandma gonna show up? And they're focusing on this element of the story and because of
0: that, Michael Myers
1: gets pushed back to 40 minutes into the film.
0: Well, to be fair though, because Michael Myers is the Halloween franchise at its core has been, yeah, Michael Myers is the character who appears in all the films, but at its core, the human face has been Laurie Strode. One could argue it's also Dr. Loomis, but it's more about Laurie in this case, because again, it merely pushing Michael more into the background, it really makes him more, brings back to what happened in the original, where he's treated more as this grim force of nature rather than a fully fleshed out character. And it gave I love how they, and at the same time, yes, there have been some things that Halloween 2018 is very derivative and it's it goes through the same threads and beats, but then again, that was the intent with the film. This is a back-to-basics Halloween film. It brings the franchise back to its original slasher roots and it adds something that we never thought would be possible in a horror film and it succeeded at that, which is adding pathos to this film by introducing Laurie and her clan because David Gordon Green said that this Halloween is not just a horror film, but it's also a good example of female empowerment, about three generations of women coming together to fight against the man who traumatized them. And then that's another author saving throw in the sequel, because something that the previous Halloween sequels failed to do was they introduced characters, female characters included, who were jerks and unlikable, which makes the audience want to root for Michael to kill them all, which goes against what the original stood for where we couldn't empathize or root for michael in any way but in the film from the female characters or the teenage characters as you see like vicky you know the the babysitter who opened the closet she is in her final moments she is portrayed as you know being all she's a nice person cares about the kids. she's babysitting for And the same with her boyfriend, who, while he may be a stoner, at least he even dies to save his girlfriend. The characters, though we get brief glimpses of them and their personalities, one that they they are endearing to the audience. That way, you feel something for them when they're being stabbed and carved like jack-o'-lanterns. So it served as a purpose to also that's as a way to course correct and show just how much of a monster Michael really is. Yeah.
1: But, um, yeah, but just because you're writing a story about female empowerment doesn't also mean you write a story about male incompetence. Like,
2: um, uh, with Allison in particular
1: She goes to uh, This Halloween dance With Cameron And then discovers That Cameron's Kind of a jerk Who gets drunk And cheats on her. And then she goes out With her other friend
0: uh, Dave No Dave no. No. Yeah yes No Oscar Oscar The guy who Oscar. Dressed with the devil Yeah
1: yeah I think he's a vampire uh,
0: of, Right uh, One
1: Um but, And then immediately
2: After they leave the party He starts hitting on her mm. And Then
1: um, He Because of that Because of that reason That he decided Oh now it's a good opportunity To hit on her After she just yeah. basically just woke up With her boyfriend um, He gets killed And when he tries to scream for help She just thinks he's mess- she's messing with him And then there's uh, the father,
0: who is... Uh, Ray, uh, Allison's father?
1: Yeah. And he basically says, I can protect my family, but doesn't really do anything to prove that he can protect his family. Like, he has an arrogance about him saying, I don't need your help lori i can protect my own family but does nothing he doesn't even lock the doors or um has been a alar- like lori points it out he doesn't lock the doors have an alarm system mm-hmm. and he's portrayed as this sort of pathetic male figure in the movie and you could if your intention is to do that to to tear down these male characters to lift up these female characters in the movie, then I would say that that something went wrong if you need to if you need to demean other people to make other another group of people look good.
0: Okay. Time out. Time out. Matt, first off, really I appreciate these concerns about you. True. Again, this is not by any means a perfect film. No, neither one's bound to agree. But let's take a moment to just take a deep breath and think. Think. What is there anything um, in particular? It doesn't have to be big or small. Anything you liked about this new film? I'm the positives. So... The positives.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Nicholas. I didn't mean to no just
0: complain about it no, the whole time. No, but... no worries.
1: These are concerns I have about the movie. Um, I do, like, they do a good job with the kills. For the most part, I would say that they're done practically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was one instance where I could tell, like, some of the blood was digital.
0: Mm-hmm. It was yeah, the scene where the woman who gets stabbed in the neck during that whole one take, the there was a yeah. CG knife, but if that's what they had to do to make it a yeah. one take, I can yeah. live with that
1: yeah um uh but like the head crushing scene i would say is good the um uh uh i feel like the climax is pretty well choreographed it's not just um the Strode's getting an upper hand on michael and just beating him the whole time he does fight back and he does put up a fight. It's no easy
2: feat to take down the shape and um,
1: I would say some shots are really well done, like the one take and um, yeah, the also in the gas station when he, just how they moved the camera uh, to reveal that the clerk is dead, I felt I felt like the camera work was really well done. It was, and, yeah. Um, and I also feel like they could have, if they wanted to, they could have, if they focused more on the lori Taryn d- dynamic mm-hmm. how, um, and made it where it's more more about how she mistreated her and how... Untrusting they are because we're just, we're told it, but we're not really shown anything.
0: Mm, yeah, but, they could have handled that a bit better, I think. Yeah. yeah. They, in,
1: gotta... I, in the perfect world, if I had a say in the movie, it would have been a movie about Lori raising her with her uh, first or second husband, or not even that after that, and. Uh, we see through Laurie's eyes The paranoia she feels And like th- this would be Before she moves out into a compound In her woods And the whole movie is about that And then She basically what happens is it, She gets to a breaking point Where she I, I would say shoots a kid Who sort of dresses like Michael Myers But mm-hmm. it is Nondescript killer, or it could be like even a guy in a boiler suit and a hockey mask, <laughs> just like this tongue in cheek thing. But she thinks it's the shape, and she becomes terrified, paranoid, and just takes a shot at him. She could kill the kid, she could not kill the kid. Uh... Let's say for this one, she doesn't, but she's arrested. Um, she Goes into court, gets a mistrial, and, or not a mistrial, but she's convicted of manslaughter, does a few years in prison, and then we see her come out, and that's why her daughter was taken away. Ah, Not
2: because she tried to prepare her, but because she shot a kid, and her paranoia led her to shoot a kid. Mm. And then the movie ends,
1: the movie ends with, cuts to a shot of Michael. Standing in the asylum with his rock. He can have his master all
2: I care. And then the movie ends. Hmm. How, despite all of this terror
1: and, per- like, it's a lot of, it would be a lot of the same shots as the first Halloween, where it's Michael standing everywhere, but it's Laurie's delusion doing hmm. it. And this whole time, Michael has been
2: standing in a. Asylum
1: this whole time Just standing there And he still torments Lori
2: Even though he is not even
0: there Huh Almost that is, like uh... If I were to make a movie
2: about Lori and her
1: trauma And probably Call it not Halloween But think of something clever Which I probably wouldn't Because you kind of need it to be Halloween Right Or like probably halloween the
0: lorry story well i think the halloween 2018 just calling it halloween works because it would make because at first i was a bit huh why would they name it the same title as the original that would sound confusing which it was by the way but david gordon green the director said he named it because like i mentioned before Halloween was meant to reintroduce the franchise to a new generation of fans as well, it wouldn't make sense. I don't think it would work if it was called something like Halloween uh, Reborn, Halloween Returns. Yeah, but for what their intention, Halloween...
1: Like, for this movie, I agree Halloween's a good title. But for something that's more focused on a character like Laurie and making it about her trauma making it like halloween the lori story and if you even frame it as the interviewers coming to visit her after this event and talking to her about what happened and that could be your framing device even right
2: and um but like for this movie making it halloween and the intention to introduce the characters you could do that
1: but you don't need to make it as connected to the first film. Fans do like it when there is some connection to it, you could have Lori in the scene in this small part, I would say comparatively. Um, this is no Blade Runner 2049, but have it more so like that, where it's a small cameo in a bigger movie. And maybe introduce new characters, maybe focus on a different story with regards to it, but putting the putting all this extra weight on top of it to like to people who haven't seen the first Halloween and are familiar with Lori. They do mention it throughout the movie, but to them it's just oh this woman from before and maybe you have something more um
0: more of a lighter impact on the film, but yeah. I don't right. Yeah, of course. To it doesn't need to necessarily bridge the gap all the time, that's for sure, but if this is what they consider the Because this new Halloween sequel is essentially a mixture of old and new, essentially telling a new story while also bringing just the stuff we love, you know, just for nostalgia's sake, yeah. But also, another thing that we really need to talk about this new sequel is... The music, of course, like John Carpenter has returned to this movie his first involvement in the franchise since Halloween three season of the witch and the music is top notch. One of the complaints in the original film was that the, the theme, the classic Halloween theme, great as it was, they tend to play it, overplay it a lot in so many of the scenes but in the new sequel they add in new music especially which is even just as great as the original and also especially that scene where allison sees uh oscar's corpse in the fence and michael comes out and we hear a an epic guitar electric guitar riff with the track is called the shape Stocks. Allison and for that for that scene uh John Carpenter's son Cody he improvised on that bit. He literally used a violin uh stick on an electric guitar for the effect. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. And the, the the theme, the updated version of the the theme, you know, in the opening credits was superb as well. And also notice how when I love that shot also of the pumpkin slowly growing back up, how it rotting to back again. And it also serves as a, a perfect metaphor for the franchise, seeing how it's literally back on its feet after so many years of terrible sequels plus a divisive remake as well. Yeah. And yeah. I, I
2: wanna know
1: how they did that shot, whether they like had a pumpkin Carved it and uh, actually waited it for it to decay and rot, and then played the footage backwards, or more likely, they reconstructed it in using digital effects. And so, because
2: I, I, I don't, I could see them doing it either way. But I do really enjoy
1: that how it is sort of a rebirth of the franchise.
0: Yes, yeah, and at the same time too. I, Michael's mask also. I know we talked about it in the original, so it's only fair if we do it for this uh, part reboot, part sequel, because the mask, it's impressive. It's probably the best one since the original. And contrary to what people might believe, this mask, it's not the same one from the 1978 classic. They did it from scratch, but they added aging effects to the mask. Again, much like we said before, the mask is essentially Michael's face because it literally aged along with its owner. The mask is part of Michael. He is attached to it.
1: And somehow this amateur podcast crew got a
0: hold of it from the attorney general's office
1: yeah i
0: yeah. never friend in the attorney general's
1: office how convenient huh yeah and but yeah it's yeah and that's also another like
0: there's also, I'm not going to keep complaining about the movie, but... Oh, no, no, no. Hey, hey Matt, before we see that, I, it's, it's okay, really. Uh, this no. this podcast, it's it not, we don't normally say everything positive. It's all about the deconstruction, about sharing different thoughts, because art is meant to be critiqued. Yeah. But at the same time, let's also try to keep be fair at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just
1: the, with the whole framing device of this podcast crew doing it because you can tell that they're not really a um, official thing they have mm, to nope. they don't have any staying power and I feel they're sort of there's a sort of trashy aspect to them how they're trying to uh, write about a big story about this tragic event but they have no reverence or subtlety to these crimes like a lot of true crime podcasts and these sort of things—they're
0: not going to actually go and talk to the killer because
1: it's that's a bad take. You don't want to hear anything from the killer's mouth. These despicable people. There are professionals for this. The FBI has a whole unit dedicated to this. You're not the person to talk to them, and it's and then just going up to a victim, a survivor of one of these horrid crimes, and saying, hey, we want to interview you. If people want to talk about what happened to them, they will talk about what happened to them. And you don't just go knock on your door, hey, you were part of this tragic event. Do you mind? Be living it for me. It's, mm-hmm. They have no respect or subtlety to what these people went through.
0: Right, yeah, and it's unethical. Yeah, that that's another point of the film too, with the podcasters. Yeah, it would be an understatement to call them unprofessional. And not just that, because they even record, when they go to the asylum to talk to Michael, they record the conversation from feet away, like, like about 10 feet away from the suspect. And they even record in very... <coughs> Crap, with very crappy, loud noises in, in the car no less, and as Screen Junkies pointed out, which is by the way my favorite YouTube channel, they decide to release, they decide to release, I mean record their episode on the 40th anniversary of the massacre on the day of the massacre yeah. instead of releasing it on the day of the massacre.
1: Yeah, um, But it's it's not a ethical practice of doing a podcast. You, there's a certain disconnect you have to have to and respect for what happened. And it's like um, Oscar was saying earlier to Allison. Oh, it, it was only only four people died. It's compared to things going on now these days. It's not a big deal. And it's like, shut up, Oscar, you mm-hmm. asshat! It's people are people and they may be just statistics. If you're watching them on the news, or you just hear about them, but they're not people to the people who lost them. And you got to keep that in mind that whether it's part of a mass tragedy or not, people are going to miss the people that are gone.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: And Yeah. Um, But also back to the podcast for a second. It's also what it seems like is, again, with this male incompetence that I mentioned earlier, how even in this podcast duo, it's uh, the man who seems to be making all these wrong decisions. Like When they went to interview Laurie, um, he, his arrogant ass thinks, oh, we're this big podcast people, she's gonna let us in because she wants to talk to us. No. And then the more sensible, reasonable, Um, female host says, oh, maybe we should give her a bit of money. Maybe we should do that. And um, it it just is more uh, of what I mentioned earlier of making a film by tearing down others or showing other people in this terrible light. And you can do that. You can make, there's a lot of good movies about that, but I don't think it fits... um, like, the tearing down people's to make other looks better in a slasher film. I wouldn't think anyone in the movie is an ethical target. No one is evil enough to deserve to be killed. Like, I was surprised that
2: Cameron didn't die for being a bad boyfriend. Mm. He was a bad boyfriend, and he got off scot-free.
1: He had a lovely time at this Halloween dance, and um. Oh, what do you think he's going to think that his friend Oscar got murdered and he lost his girlfriend, but oh well, I'm not dead.
0: Mm-hmm. And on top of that, he even impeds Allison's survival, unintentionally, of course, when he threw her phone in a bowl of nacho cheese, cause, which basically put her life at risk since there's some math murderer on the loose and her mom and grandma were trying to call her to make sure well, she's safe.
1: But if you also think about it, if she stayed at the dance, if she didn't walk out, her and Oscar would be safe. Because we are told earlier that they evacuated the dance and they would have found Glory there. And well, no worries, sorry, um, Allison there, and she would have probably got a right up to the um, cabin where they probably wouldn't have ran into Michael or any of this. It's, um, so, I don't know, it's, they were fine, but because she... Um, well, I guess it's Cameron's fault in the end, because he
2: right. is sort of an asshat, but mm-hmm. um, it's like, he's fine in the end. And,
1: like, no one did anything immoral to deserve being killed by Michael. Even though these pod- podcasters are doing it in the wrong way, shouldn't mm. be going about it this way, That's it doesn't it. mean that they deserve death. And
0: yeah. Right, doesn't warrant There's it.
1: no karmic justice in his actions.
0: Oh, which, again, it would make the audience root for Michael, which, again, goes against John Carpenter's original intent with the character as well. And at the same time, too, I love how this film, it almost not almost, it also pays homage to the Halloween franchise because notice how even though this new sequel completely retcons and considers all the previous Halloween sequels as non-canon, there are a few callbacks to the previous sequels as well. Remember when Michael first goes around to kill the old lady with the baby during the one take, that's while she's making a sandwich, which is a callback to the after the credits roll in Halloween Two, the the first one back in nineteen eighty one, and when Laurie is about to confront Michael, there are some kids wearing the silver shamrock masks. You know from Halloween Three. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and there's also a callback to the original. Like, I would say.
0: Oh, so many of them. Count, yeah, I can
1: count. I would say there's about three to a wall there's the classic bob bit with the sheet and it's, uh, that is as a ghost and just a lot of visual similarities to his mm-hmm. previous murder screen
0: right and also about michael myers well for the, sick, the one where he is in the prison scene and all his masked scenes. He is played by James Jude Courtney, who, get this, he actually got advice on how to play Michael Myers from an actual inmate who happened to be a hitman who told him how to properly kill someone in preparation for the role. But in in that scene, remember when Laurie first sees Michael through the mirror and shoots at the glass? There, Michael was played by Nick Castle, who played the original Michael Myers, and he did Michael's classic breathing in some scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And also... And I'm get I. That's another callback to the original. I I love that scene where after Laurie gets pushed off the balcony and then disappears, which is a callback to when Michael disappeared from Loomis's eyes. Which also shows that from that point forward, Laurie is the hunter and Michael, for once, the hunted. Yeah.
2: Which
1: is kind of a. I don't know. I find it it's kind of a oxymoron in that sense, where it's uh, the hunter is the one that is uh, that fell out a window and is laying on the ground. It's um, even though that they just disappear at the end. It, I, I find it kind of ironic how that to signify that who is the hunter and who is the hunted is by putting them in such a vulnerable. Um, defeated
0: position right and and michael getting burned we all know that will not work out at all since we've seen halloween 2 where he got burned to a crisp and then came back years later all fine
1: Wait
0: did we see halloween 2 oh you got me there man you got me there yeah. and it's even according
1: to this there is no halloween
0: 2 <laughs> exactly it's unofficial now it doesn't exist but also it's both creepy in a way creepy awesome both that when as Michael is literally being burned and the fire is circling around him he doesn't move a muscle he's just staring at Lori. I wonder what could be going in his head at the moment it's like he's saying whatever I'll be back in the sequel or bitch we all know this doesn't work
2: Well, they they did
1: have a good fair shake at it, I have to say, because they first, well, here's the problem with it, is their intention is to burn down the house on top of him, which, understandable it works, but they lock him in the basement, which notably has concrete walls. For the most part, it's out of... Usually when you see a house fire, there is still a basement. It's not like it becomes a... The structure sinks down into the hole, like, a couple feet. It's usually just the upper layer that's burned. So it is very possible that they did fail to kill Michael, and he he can come back, but it's like... You created this master plan
0: to lock him in your cellar and burn him, but then. Right, yeah. What
1: happens when that doesn't work? Like,
0: right, like she had 40 years of planning and this is the best she could come up with?
1: Well, I'd say it's a pretty good attempt at it. But it's. I didn't really plan. Like, I, I would have just thrown some extra like, something in there.
0: Too spicy, some (laughs) would (laughs) say. Right, well, and what amazes me too is much like with Jordan Peele in. Get Out, because this is a a horror film, a great horror film, in my opinion anyway, of course, we don't expect everyone to share the same as me, but, and David Gordon Green, he was best known for making dramas and comedies, and this happens to be his very first horror film, and it was also written by his pal Danny McBride, who was also known for appearing in comedies, such as Kenny Powers. Together, They, they, cr- they created the script back in 2016, and they pitched the idea to John Carpenter, who, by the way, by all accounts, he loved the script. And he served as a supervisor for them. Yeah. And,
1: and he produced it as well, as well right. as Jamie Lee Curtis.
0: Right. In fact, yeah, John Carpenter, he, I think he's more into music now. He hasn't really directed anything since yeah. 2010 with the horror film The Ward. And at the same time, something which I always love to bring up whenever Halloween 2018 comes to mind is that it is now the, the highest grossing slasher film of all time. The uh, surpassing Scream, which came out in 1996 and, by the way, yeah. it's turning 25 this year. Well,
2: yeah,
1: but back to what you're saying about uh, comedy comic directors doing horror, I feel... Well, like a good joke, a good scare needs to set up in a punchline. Like, what you can do is you can just say the punchline and then laugh afterwards, and that's what you see with a lot of the um, what jump scares are, basically. They're this instantaneous flash of a uh, scary face or whatever. And to have a good... A good scare is you need to give the audience a hint that something, a sense of dread, right. before you can get them. And yeah,
2: right. so I
1: feel like that's why a lot of comedy directors are seeing success in the horror genre. And I know we haven't really seen the inverse of it. I would say uh, that. Horror director is going into comedy But I think I heard Ari Aster say that he's In the mood for a comedy
0: next Oh yeah, he, he, he will He is making comedy, yeah A, a black comedy, of course With Joaquin yeah. Phoenix, yeah
1: Yeah, but um, I feel like They're not mutually exclusive There is a, also a lot of good
0: horror comedies out there Right, exactly, yeah Yeah, and I just got to say cuz this film the the new Halloween sequel it's like, uh, like I mentioned in the opening it's a dream come true for me cuz the Halloween franchise has been in a lot of ups and downs lately even when it's down it's, it had has it has a fair share of moments but it has been dropping in quality lately so it's just it's just so cathartic such a relief to finally have a sequel that in my opinion, of course, really brings the franchise back to its former glory. And for the first time ever, and I think, you know, I can say the same, we are just more than enthusiastic for what comes next in the Halloween franchise. The one that yeah. kick the slasher genre in the first place.
2: Yeah.
0: Or rather popularized it anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Oh. And... Let's add, uh to cap this episode off, what did you think was, what was your favorite scene from the new Halloween?
1: As I mentioned earlier, it would be the head stomp one. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, I don't know, I just like a good head explosion effect, and that one was pretty good. Well, um, say uh, something. Uh, another moment I liked was, I do find it, I, do, I did really enjoy the Bonnie and Clyde partner costume. Mm-hmm. Um, they with the expectations.
0: I, I thought it was really fun. It was nice, yeah. And the head stomp scene, yeah. It also it's a little creepy in a way because in a way Michael, Mike Michael doesn't speak as we all know. He hasn't spoken at all in the original films, but a part of me feels he likes to express himself through his actions because words are also a way to express oneself. To show a sign of the soul, but as we've seen from Michael, he has none. And in his way, I was thinking, you know, Michael stumping on the head is actually him saying something, albeit non-verbally. And if, of course, it's two words and seven letters.
1: Um, yeah. And,
0: oh, and although I'm thing and also notice how after he stumps the head, he does his classic head tilt
1: yeah and we also saw that with um in the washroom with uh the female podcast uh, uh, so uh he was looking at the graffiti in a, a peculiar way but um yeah I, I wonder if it has ever occurred to anyone that maybe he's just incapable of speaking you know he's um uh, mute
0: well, well, Dr. Sartain did mention earlier he can speak, but he chooses not to. Well, how do you figure that, you know?
1: How how can you figure someone can speak if they've never spoken?
0: Well, very good question.
1: So I'm going to ask you, Nick, what was your favorite part of this movie?
0: Well, for one... It had to be the entire one-take scene, both on a story level and on a technical level with the cinematography. They did a few tricks, of course, to make it look like it was done in one take, of course. And a really great way to emphasize that Michael is back again. The, this is... It has been advertised so many times in different trailers and promos, but this is probably the perfect way to show that the shape is back in action. it was this is qu- quite also a great film ex- theater experience as well i have watched this back with my brother in the theater back when i was starting my second month of university as well it it was such it was really a dream come true for me and i'm really looking forward for the sequels as well and yeah. a thing we i also want to discuss as well before we continue is the the bathroom scene as well, as we can see in the background that how Mike we can see Michael killing the gas station attendant in the background, which also throws back, goes back to the original Halloween, where we see just bits, glimpses of Michael, small glimpses in the background. Really nice throwback. And it also leaves a very disturbing implication with the the teeth scene. Did Michael remove the teeth after he killed the guy or did he or is that the way he did it he literally killed a guy by ripping his teeth out
1: I feel like the teeth falling out are part of the scuffle in the bathroom how he slammed his head against the wall multiple times and I think it wasn't a intended pulling out and it was more of a cause of it
0: was more a repercussion of him, of the conflict. Yeah. Right, Ooh, right, and and again, him dropping the teeth on Dana while she's in the bathroom. Again, more signs of Michael's sadism on how he like he he wants to scare her and like just torment her right before he goes in for the kill. Yeah. Yeah. Back. James Jude Courtney, the stuntman who played Michael Myers, said that he based his movements on Michael like that of a cat, you know, stealthy and agile. Well, not agile, agile, like... I
1: could just see him doing, like, flips like
0: Catwoman, just... (laughs) Right, yeah, but really, like, running from... Actually, you can run from Michael Myers if you think about it. He's not much of a mover.
1: Yeah, but it's he's relentless, and I think that the best word to describe him is you can run,
0: but for how long? Right, like like you mentioned before, that he is essentially death, and no matter how fast you run, death will always catch up. Yeah, but really love how they made Michael Myers more a human, more. To an extent, more mortal as well. This was an enforced trope, too, because David Gordon Green and Danny McBride said they grew bored of Michael turning into this Jason-esque type killer. It's more scarier when the thing that's chasing you is mortal, but still has the cunning and willpower to fight through whatever you throw at him. And I love how they succeeded with that. But yeah, so also... I would like your one more honest take from you. How would you rate this new Halloween sequel from one to I, ten?
1: I would say seven. It's That's fair. Does a good job of doing what it's supposed to do, but the pacing is a bit muddled and some inconsistencies.
0: It could have been better, of course, yeah. Yeah. But, again. Yeah,
1: but I feel like it does do a good job of setting the bar for these
0: horror remakes like i know oh, um, candy rem- candy, remakes or reboots you
1: uh whatever whatever they're calling them now because i think this one was technically like a reinvention so like i know the next big one coming out is candy and
0: i'd like to see how they reintroduce that character mm-hmm. right and I know, and also David Gordon Green will be returning to direct a direct sequel to The Exorcist, which is also the same title as the original film. I think that's the new trend now. I don't know if Halloween started it, but I guess that's like the new bread and butter for horror sequels. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: Uh, it might be one of those things where because one of them was successful, they're gonna try all these other ones. They know their talks about redoing The Thing, which I'm optimistically skeptical of
2: because Mm.
1: I do really enjoy The Thing, but I would like to see, I wouldn't um, hate hate it out of principle just because I really like one movie and that doesn't mean there could be another good one. So I, I I want it to be good, but that's to be seen. And if there, it might lead to this burnout culture we've seen in other franchises, like more more so the sci science fiction one where they keep trying to reboot, like totally call um, Star Wars most recent, well not most mm-hmm. recent. Most um Star Trek even not with like Discovery and all that and even the um Chris Pine was right yeah it it got to a point where they found some success but it eventually didn't work out people saw what they're doing
2: and um uh sort of got tired
1: of it so that's that's to be seen like if they do a really good job of it and try and squeeze a bit more life out of these characters rather than just letting them rot in someone, some producer's, I don't know, IP seller, I guess.
0: Right. It's a hit or miss for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But Um, it's, um, it's good that they're at least doing something with it,
1: unlike characters like Jason or Freddie who have been relatively quiet for the Mm -hmm. past few years. Dormant, yeah. Yeah. I know Jason more so is due to legal trouble and they did try and do a Friday the thirteenth, which it has
0: Fans divided. <laughs> right. Well, yeah out of all the the big three faces of horror, Freddy, Jason and Michael looks like Michael is pretty the lucky one here, but the closest thing we've seen of Freddy and Jason so far have been in video games, you know, which Friday the thirteenth the game and of course Dead by Daylight. Albeit yeah. the remake one anyway. Yeah,
2: but
1: that is not enough to a cameo isn't enough to keep a character alive on itself. If right, If that are. was the case, then Mortal Kombat has been doing a, job, a good job of keeping the Predator and Alien and these the lifeblood of these characters, even though we haven't seen a right. movie in a couple exactly. Of years. Exactly, yeah. And but um, it, it gives the fans what they want. They want this experience of... Either playing a killer or being in, when a, a slasher movie. And
2: exactly. Yeah. And this is.
1: Yeah, I know they're they're working on a lot of new uh, horror games based on IP. Like I know the oh. Evil Dead game. Yeah, there's a Evil Dead game that I think is coming out relatively soon, and it's like uh, I would say more so a
0: uh left for dead sort of game hmm. a cooperative multiplayer horde zombie movie. nice thing. and also yeah and, and unmatched like yeah uh evil dead the closest we've seen to them not counting the 2013 one or the series since that was years ago is again dead by daylight with ash yeah. and also on a final note this new halloween sequel i It's probably, I consider it to be one of, if not the best horror sequel out there, and I am not a guy who is very warm about horror sequels, with a few exceptions, which of course is this new Halloween, A Quiet Place Part 2, and of course, Aliens, if you can call it horror anyway. That's
2: what I
1: was going to say, is, depends what you mean by horror sequel, because... A lot of times they divert like Terminator Two, if you consider the first one a horror then make this one a horror sequel and so on. But it's I would say it's it does a good job of continuing the story for despite the fact it being a difference of about forty years. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And yeah, I know yeah.
0: Can you imagine if none of the sequel, none of the prior sequels existed, and they made Halloween nineteen seventy eight, and they didn't make any more sequels until twenty eighteen? Well, like I, was, I we talked about this. Um. Uh, I
1: don't think we talked about it on an episode, but we talked about it when just between us. I feel, despite how critically acclaimed or how or. The failures these sequels have been, they have kept these characters in the public consciousness for all these years. And because of that, we still remember them. If it wasn't for Halloween H2O, or as an example, I don't, that's the one I can think of, um, or Halloween for Jay's The uh, Curse of Michael Myers, people wouldn't remember who Michael Myers is. And a lot of these other slashers that didn't really make the cut as the big four um they sort like from the eighties especially there's all these I wouldn't say knockoff um slashers, but slashers ex inspired by Friday the thirteenth and Halloween. Right. That had one or maybe even two movies but um sort of just fell to the wayside.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly as, as we mentioned before, the sequels. It's a gift and a curse. Yeah. And, yeah, with all that said, it also feels like a true love letter. Again, this is all my take on it. It feels like a true love letter to fans of the Halloween franchise as well. It introduces something new while well, adding a bit of the old just to make sure we come back next time. Because as history has proven, if there's one thing that can kill any horror villain, it's not knives, not bullets, not fire, and not holy water. But you know what? Poor box office returns.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I
1: yeah I'd say that's that, that's a good mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that, that is how it works
2: yeah. right.
1: um but notably that this was also a Blumhouse right which uh, despite the dubious nature of how they fund movies they do do good jobs some of the time
0: like mm-hmm. th- you get your um insidious and your i don't know get out uh, don't count. forget get out
1: no no um count down i would say or um ready or not ready or not. um there's another one i'm trying to think of it's a dumb... truth or dare oh like all these um gross out uh look at these wacky people When look they're but they do make some good stuff and they're giving money to the right creative people mm-hmm. and um as long as they if they need to make a countdown or a truth or dare to keep their coffers full then i'm i'm not going to see it but i'm not going to say it's ruining horror because by doing that they can make these more Creative stories, these more risky stories. Well, I wouldn't say Halloween, but it's something more like. It was
0: Invisible Man was a Bumhouse production. It was yes. Yeah, so, something more like that,
1: where the it's more up in the air, but they're giving money to people who want to make movies, not want to make money.
0: Right, exactly. That's true, and at the same time as well, I. With two more sequels on the way, the next one called Halloween Kills, and the one was coming out next year, which is titled Halloween Ends. I am praying that this one they really end this franchise. They put it to rest. I wanted to see it happen. have a proper closure, because you know how most slasher franchises, especially Friday Nightmare, they keep teasing this is going to be the final movie, the final chapter, the final nightmare, but give or take five or a few years later, they're going to make another one just to squeeze in a few dollars out of us. Yeah.
1: I, but I feel like with that is... I'm want to say Halloween's in the right hands. I'm not sure who exactly has the ownership. But if the director had to ask John Carpenter's permission on the topic, I I, I want to say that he has retained, he has regained control of the property. And um, if they need to get his permission to make these movies, I think he knows when to stop because that's mm. why we don't see the thing to or um Prince of darkness to we didn't right. see escape from New York that way which right is, uh, I would say is you, you got you gotta pay the bills
0: <laughs> right exactly yeah.
1: um yeah. but it's uh, he knows when to stop. It's Mm
0: -hmm. not like he's, again, he's
1: not out here for the money. He's out
0: here to make art. For the art, yeah, for filmmaking, man. Just make a movie, yeah. And also at the good hands of David Gordon Green and Danny McBride as well, who just a couple of young, talented filmmakers who have a lot of love for the Halloween franchise as well. It's all about the love, the passion, which is something money can buy. Yeah.
1: I would say if you ever are thinking, well, if it's successful, then why why stop now? Just take a look at The Simpsons. They're going on to like their thirty thirty-second season, and it's like I, I I watched mostly the entirety of The Simpsons, and there you can see a drop in quality and effort into the show. Mm-hmm. There's usually one or two diamonds in the rough of like good episodes now and that. but other than that it, they're trying to be beat, they're beating a dead horse
0: mm-hmm, exactly to the point that it's no longer a horse anymore yeah. yeah and for what for the final note on this episode too it's also such a relief that since you will also know me my my teenage years I grew up with slasher films and the slasher genre has been on quite a decline especially during the late 90s with the exception of Scream of course and during the 2000s with bad remake after bad remake but it's such a relief to see the slasher genre return back in this new era. Uh, Aside from the new Halloween sequel we also have Hush as well as um oh well, uh, ready you're not, and uh, happy death day as well yeah,
2: yeah.
0: they're breathing um, new life into this supposedly dead genre. It's genius um, I would ask you a question okay? Shoot. If, Go on um one slasher that's
1: let's say not one of the big three the, that you would see. That you would like to see get remade into a um, Halloween style remake? Is there.
0: would there be? Hmm. It's a very good question. Very, very good question. Well, personally, I would have to go with Leatherface for sure. Because yeah, the I feel that the story could go in new new directions. It's in really new and exciting directions, especially since the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm not saying it if that's if it really deserved a sequel or not. That's up for debate. But the original film, as we you and I both know, ended on a pretty open ended ending, and almost like a cliffhanger of sorts, I'd say, and. It has been, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, hasn't received a new or recent release, so it's much like Halloween was at the time. It's a pretty dormant franchise, and I could see it return as well.
1: Uh, I know one that I, I think they could do a lot more with is um, the miner from My Bloody Valentine.
0: Uh, Harry Warden, right? With yeah. the gas mask the... and the pickaxe? Yeah, yeah a classic Canadian horror, I think it was filmed in
1: Nova Scotia, Um, but it's, um, I feel like the whole, like, dating scene has changed, which they can do a lot of that, and if
2: um, they want to, they, like, because the original, the original one, his crimes are motivated by
1: tragedy. And you could sort of do a similar thing where it's, one of the survivors is motivated by what happened to them and try and, in a perverted way, get their um, anger out like committing similar crimes. And
2: they did try a remake, I want to say mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, My Bloody
1: Valentine 3D, but um, no one's talking about it, so I feel like that
0: that one would be an interesting one to reboot. Hmm. I think you may be right about that one, yeah. More like a few updates as well. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Anything with all these... With Candyman, The Exorcist, all some horror films getting new sequels, almost like soft reboots. So many possibilities. And with all that said... That's all the time we have left. I think it's safe to say we covered pretty much everything we need to for this newest film. Once again, thank you so much, Matt, for your return here on Sin City. And we will be back on September to cover new, fresh content for you all. But until then, thank you for listening to Sin City. This has been Nick Manessis with Mad Zahariah. See you next week. Same time as always, only on cmru.ca and feel loud images.